0: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald-Times in Bloomington, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And our topic today is mortgage foreclosures, the crisis and its impact on Indiana and Monroe County. If uh, you want to join us on the program, I'll give you the phone numbers, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. And you'll be talking with Marilyn Patterson from the Bloomington Housing and Neighborhood Development, Um, office, Marcy Winsler of the Indiana Legal Services, and Jerry Hayes, who's a local banker, president of the Indiana Mortgage Bankers Association. So welcome to the program. This is a really interesting topic. Mary Catherine and I were just talking about mm-hmm. how much we're going to learn today.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, we... there's so much to learn, a lot of uh, term definitions and uh, just our brief discussion before the show, lots of, lots of areas we can cover today.
0: Oh, so. yeah, absolutely. So one of you has to start out by just sort of explaining to us how we got to this place where there are so many foreclosures. Uh, Jerry, do
2: you want to take that? I'll start. Uh, you may find as as we go along that we have differing opinions about how this all came about. But um, from my perspective, um, I think initially the foreclosures in Indiana um, happened because of a number of things. One was manufacturing jobs leaving. Um, Indiana had high, one of the highest homeownership rates in the country, so you have more homeowners, so you have more opportunity for problems, and um, we also have one of the highest. Um, government loan participation, uh, which sometimes uh, those loans have—you're able to get those loans with a lower credit score, uh, not not perfect credit, and uh, VA loans, for example, no money down and FHA is 3 percent down. So very little investment. So uh, when they did have problems, there was not much incentive to stay in the house. So th- I think that initially that's kind of what precipitated the problem. But it grew uh, in Indiana as it has all over the country. Uh, as a result of, in my opinion, some folks I learned a long time ago. When I first got in the mortgage business 30 years ago, I had a pie-in-the-sky attitude that er everyone should be a homeowner. Uh, That was my goal in life was to make sure everyone was able to own a home. But I found out that uh, it's not possible or even realistic, and I think we've we've learned that in the last couple of years that um, there are some folks who are buying homes that either shouldn't have been homeowners in the first place because they didn't have the discipline to do it or they were buying it over their heads. They were, mm-hmm. they were um, buying more than they could really afford. And, and part of that was due to um, some, some loan products that were out there, uh, Option ARMS being one. ARMS is an adjustable rate mortgage. ARM is the acronym for adjustable rate mortgage. And uh, uh, Option ARM essentially gave the borrower an option each month to pay either the regular payment that would amortize out over a 30-year period. Or they could pay interest only and not pay anything on principal. Or they could pay less than the amount that was necessary to pay principal or interest and the, the balance would actually go up instead of down. In addition to that, uh, these were adjustable rate mortgages that were made at discounts. So, for example, um, an adjustable rate mortgage typically has a, a, um, an index that's tied to one-year treasury securities index, for example. Let's say it's 4% and the lender charges 2% margin to that index to get their rate of 6. Well, they would start the rate the loan out at, say, 3% or or less sometimes, knowing that at the end of that first adjustment period, the rate was automatically going to go up. Mm-hmm. So it, it was just, uh, you know, it, it was not good from the get-go. And I, I frankly, I don't understand how people who have been in the business a long time, Wall Street investors, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, how they didn't see this coming, frankly. Mm-hmm. All right. Marilyn, from your perspective, what,
3: um, you know, Jerry, Jerry explained it. Well, but we I think if you back up just a little bit that that um, deregulation of the industry is where where it really all started Um, in about 1993. Before that you know, we all know you had to have 20% down to buy a home, you had to have this, you had to have that. And when it got deregulated, then it went into the situation what Jerry was talking about, where you had to have less investment in, um, the, the, in your uh, home. And also, once the loans started getting sold from your local bank to Wall Street, um, then the people doing the lending of of some loans could th- then had more money to loan again and loan again so the the money stayed there because it before it was in the community and you were paying um, you were paying your bank so they only had a limited number of resources but once wall street started buying them and these all these loans got bundled then there was more money kept coming back into the community and we weren't giving people, the um, loans that were um, fit for them and fit for them to be actually be able to own their home and keep it up because they were going to adjust and if they had enough money to pay it now, we couldn't assume that their income was going mm-hmm. to go up where some people's home uh, mortgage payment now has doubled. Well, we know that that didn't happen and anybody who thought it was going to happen Probably was dreaming, I think, but um, it's a nice idea that it didn't work.
1: How much fluctuation is possible? Um, you, started, you talked about um, starting at as low as 2% is kind of the, you know, I know credit cards do that too. They start you at a very low rate for a year. But starting as low as 2%, what's the largest jump then that you've seen in an adjustable rate mortgage?
3: A teaser rate of 5 and capped out at 18.9 um, is the largest I ever saw.
1: Wow, do you, can you put numbers to that so it's a little easier to get our brains wrapped around as far as
3: like a house payment went from seven hundred dollars to two hundred to twenty two hundred dollars. Wow,
0: that's pretty devastating. So uh,
3: can, can you uh, and I don't even think that was at the cap when I saw it. I think it had uh, more adjustments to go.
0: Yeah, okay. um, the whole term subprime. Can somebody explain that?
4: Well, it, yeah, it's people who don't have prime credit and they're not qualified to get the most optimal terms. Uh, one of the problems has been, though, that a lot of people who had prime credit were being targeted and sold subprime products. Mm-hmm. And so you uh, a large percentage of people – I think the Center for Responsible Lending said up to 61 percent of people who were eligible for prime credit in the last couple of years – uh, were in fact being sold subprime products. So and it, it can be targeted to minority communities, in particular the elderly, um, people who have high debt. I mean, I believe there was very clear targeting going on. You know, we'd have a client who's hu- – uh, an older woman whose husband was in the hospital and there would be a lot of medical debt. Well, the medical bills, I mean, you can you can buy – lists of people who owe debt. Mm. And so the moment when, um, you know, they're most in need and getting the most pressure to pay, say, medical bills, then they get a call or a letter that offers this magic solution that says, hey, we can lower your payments. And so people ended up taking debt that they could never have lost, could not have lost their home over and putting that, refinancing that into their home. Wow.
1: And that's to the lender's advantage because these addressable rate mortgages have the potential to to, uh, grow so much over time, the the payment due. Sure. And it's not just adjustable rates either. I mean, the more
4: debt you can put in, you know, the more people are going to own. And there was just freewheeling misrepresentations, not among everybody, but there was a sector of mortgage brokers, appraisers, that were misrepresenting terms, falsifying applications. You know, there was a nearby county where the person had applied, was buying a house on contract, had um, been solicited to refinance to buy it uh, at a really low rate, and they put on the application that, you know, his job, pizza delivery, but then the broker indicated he made $57,000 a year income. Okay? Now, an investor... Could look at that and see on its face that something's wrong with this document,
5: that's and a lot so of I that's a lot <laughs> of
4: pies. Yeah. Yeah, right. So I right. think there was not due diligence in the in the industry either. Yeah.
0: All right, eight five five zero eight one one is our local number, 877-285-9348. and you can send your email to noon at indiana. edu. So, how bad is the is the situation in Indiana? How does Indiana compare with other states? I, I think Jerry you, sounds like we might be a little worse
2: off. Well, we are. Um, I think Marcy actually has some statistics about that. You want to address that, Marcy?
4: Sure. I mean, Indiana unfortunately has been uh, number one. Uh, for a few years in the number of foreclosures, the rate of foreclosures, and then we've dropped you know—one, two, one, two, three, four, uh, off and on for the last few years. But where we are today uh, is the, according to the Center for Responsible Lending, and they uh, survey Mortgage Bankers Association and data and other resources – uh, one in thirty seven Indiana homeowners is projected to be in foreclosure within the next two years wow. one in thirty seven That's one a big in thirty seven yeah and you know that's going to affect uh, maybe up to almost fifty thousand homes in the next two years uh, and there's declining property values, so you think well i didn't i didn 't get into that mess it doesn 't affect me. But about 28 percent of all homeowners in Indiana are going to be affected. You know, the, the drop in property taxes, uh, the drop in home value, you know, the estimate is the average decrease in home value um, for surrounding properties is $1,760. Uh, there's going to be almost – the tax base and home value is almost uh, – is $959 million dollars. And some five hundred and forty four thousand homes are going to have price declines. I also got some Monroe County statistics uh-huh. uh, that talks about the number of houses that will lose value just in this uh, county for because of these subprime foreclosures, not all foreclosures, just the subprime is over four thousand uh, wow. in Monroe county, and the decrease in house values in the tax base. Is five million four hundred forty-five thousand dollars Monroe right. County alone,
1: so it does affect all of us.
0: Yeah, that's very significant.
1: And so that affects then public services as well, because the revenue, the, the revenue that the county has uh, to do take care of things, take care of roads and parks and, and other things, that's declining. That's right.
0: Well, let's let's take this down to sort of a micro level. I'm going to start with with Jerry on this. I mean, you've you've uh, got a client. They get a mortgage. They're starting to have problems. Can you sort of take us through what happens when, you know, there's a, a client that has a mortgage and they're having trouble? You know, what do you guys do to try to help them out when it comes to time for foreclosure? What kinds of discussions, counseling is there?
2: Okay. Um, I'll, I'll just touch on that briefly because that's really Maryland's expertise. Okay. But um, essentially uh, when folks start getting behind, uh, we we do some – there are two – two uh, areas of collections, the collections area, which when it's like 30 or even 60 days past due, and then there's a uh, loss mitigation area when it gets seriously delinquent. And um, so the banks, if they still service loans, I guess maybe I ought to sit back a minute and say that uh, we talked about uh, before the show started about loans being sold or not sold and that sort of thing. And um, most of the local banks um, now sell their loans in the secondary market. Now, some of those will sell them servicing released, which means that they'll also not collect the payments any longer. Those will be collected somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Some sell them servicing retained, which means they continue to collect the payments and would do the the collections and that sort of thing. So if they've sold it servicing released, uh, the bank doesn't have any control any longer. If they sold it servicing retained, then they do the counseling and uh, and just try to work through, you know, as we talked about before maybe the show started, banks don't want these homes back. I mean, they just don't. Um, they want to try to work it out if they can. And so they try to do that as much as possible. Once it gets past 60 days and it gets to 90 days, that's uh, when they start having to stop accruing interest on the loans. And that's when it becomes serious to them when they can't do that any longer. Mm. And that's about – that's when they start the foreclosure process. And I'll, you know, I'll let uh, Marcy and Marilyn talk about that. OK. Marilyn?
3: When um – um, the question was you know how, how do we help the client yeah, i sure. think and um, the the first thing we do at hand is we have uh, several default clients. We see our clients face to face There are eight hundred numbers that you can call if if uh, you don 't want don 't are not able to come into the office, but we see them face to face. The initial meeting usually takes an hour an hour and a half, and we read I read through the documents that they signed at closing to see what the situation is, read any current mail that they've gotten from their lender, and then work out a budget and see what they can afford. Mm -hmm. One of the showstoppers for somebody is if they can't afford the house. I mean, you have to have a balanced budget to do one of these workouts. Or you have to have the... um, the the goal that you're going to have a balance budget if you're if you're temporarily uh, off your job but you're going back so that you can work with the lender and then you know we I work directly with the lenders on behalf of the clients and with the clients I don't do all the work and get them there's a package called a loss mitigation package that is budget check stubs mm-hmm. um, all kinds of information that they want. To work out a deal, and then there's various various uh, cures um, like a repayment plan, loan modification, um, some other variations on those that uh, you request because I understand what what they can do and what they can't do, and then um, uh, it but it's up to the lender um, if they're going to. Uh, offer you one of those one of those deals now on f h a loans and things like that they make it um worth their while by giving them some you know money when they do a workout so they've got that going for them but then conventional mortgages they all have some kind of variation of that, and it can take a you know a few weeks to do this or it can take. Five months to do this. It just depends on the lender and um, how fast you can get to the right person to talk mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm.
1: How amenable, in general, are they to, to help people stay in their house? Say, let's say this uh, house payment seven hundred dollars, and and because a spouse lost a job, they can only pay four hundred dollars a month. Is that something you would contact a lender and say, look, you know, this is all they can afford, or else
3: they're going to lose the house? If if you could prove that in the future that situation wouldn't, wouldn't exist anymore.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: For example, they, they've got a new job. They're going to be teaching mm-hmm. in August mm-hmm. and they have a contract. Mm-hmm. And You could show that, then sure, they would do that. They call it a forbearance and they would let you come down. But it's not easy. It's not like they offer it every time or that it, it, it's kind of random sometimes too.
1: Okay. And then, um, Jerry, this may or may not be a question for you. What about mortgage insurance? What what percentage of people have mortgage insurance?
2: Oh well, Gosh, it's hard to say. But uh, those folks who uh, put less than 20 percent down, it's required that they have private mm-hmm. mortgage insurance. Or if it's an FHA loan, it's, it's government insurance. But it's the same thing. So uh, the loans we're talking about, probably, I would say a significant number of those probably did have private mortgage insurance. But Marilyn, you probably have more experience with that. When you see them, do they... Do they have mortgage insurance and typically? how does yes. that
1: help or not or or how does that affect the situation
3: well if some, sometimes when you 're looking for who 's really responsible um, you know for who actually is going to take the loss, sometimes you have to go and seek out and sometimes it is the mortgage insurance holder and because they're that insurance is for them, mm-hmm. and if they 're going to take this loss, sometimes x y z company that you 're dealing with because that 's where the payments are going. Are not wanting to do anything, but if you can get to the person who's going to take the loss, then they may want to make a deal. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how it can help the homeowner. How the mortgage insurance helps is that if it defaults, then they, you know, they they get their their money because they had insurance on it.
2: Mm-hmm. I might uh, explain that uh, uh, maybe a little differently. And you, I think you described it. Correctly, but I've, I've told people over the years they confuse private mortgage insurance with homeowner's insurance many times, mm-hmm. and it really doesn't benefit the borrower at all except that it permits them to get into a home with less down payment. It's really default insurance. It insures the lender that if they have to foreclose on the house, the insurance company pays the top part of their loss uh, back to them so that it's as if they the borrower had, in fact, put 20 percent down or more.
1: And when you, once you've got that kind of equity, can, you can refinance then without mortgage insurance
2: well, mortgage insurance is, um, once it's on there, it's automatically released when it gets down to 78% to value, and you can request that it be released when it's down to 80% to value. And you, the value is determined by having, an, uh, either based on the current the purchase price and the current appraisal, or after a year or two, you can have it reappraised, and if the balance is less than 80%, you can request it to be released. Okay. All right. We have a phone call. Let's go to DJ. DJ?
6: Yes. Hi. I, I wonder, uh, there was a comment earlier about the decline in Monroe County value, and uh I made an appeal before Judy Sharp, and she seemed to be totally clueless as to that fact. And when I mentioned that, she said, nope, no decline of values in Monroe County. I wondered, what's your source on that so I can be sure and get that information to her to bring her up to date, bring her up to speed. What's your source on the uh, Monroe County well, decline? Well,
4: yeah, the source on Monroe County is from the Center for Responsible Lending. So if you just go on the Internet and uh, responsiblelending.org – uh, you can look. They have – it's called a, a research thing on subprime spillover, and you, there's a map of the U.S. You just click on Indiana, and then it's county by county. Uh, the decrease in sales value is not necessarily going to be uh, a big impact, I think, on the the appraised value for tax purposes. Is
6: that?
2: Well, I let me address that a little bit. I'm finding now um, uh, that appraisals are coming in less than, than assessed value, and that's. I actually talked to Judy Sharp myself a few uh, days ago and about that. And uh, because I'd asked one of my customers, I said, "You should appeal your assessment based on this new appraisal." Well, uh, the system it needs it's flawed. You know, the, the legislature uh, did some property tax reform, but the system needs to be reformed. Um, properties are now reassessed based on sales that occur, but they're assessed – they're in a year behind, 2007, payable 2008 and so on. So when I talked to Judy about this, we had – your appeal period, first of all, is only 45 days from the time you receive your assessment. You have to be able to provide documentation uh, that that – within that 45 days that it shouldn't be assessed at what it is. Well, but they're basing it on values a year ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you had an appraisal that was done in 2006, and you happen to be within that 45-day window in 2007, you're in luck. Otherwise, you're out of luck. And I think that's what's happening is that the assessed values are based on previous years, and this is one of the first times we've actually seen decline in property values. And so you're getting mm-hmm. caught. You're getting caught in the
6: mm-hmm.
2: in the system. Two so what you are
6: seeing. So you're saying next year, then, we should be able to get it reduced, saying, well, look, last year in 2007, there was a decline.
2: Well, they actually should be coming down automatically because as sales occur, it's required, sales disclosures are required to be filed with the auditor's office, and that's how they arrive at these reassessments. So as as the property values decline and that's reported in sales, they should automatically go down.
6: Okay. And what is the, what is the amount of time a house has to be on the market before you start lowering it? In other words, a lot of houses... Uh, near campus are still in the two hundred thousand dollar range, and that that may now be effective today. How long do you think it has to be on the market before somebody should say, "Hmm, we ought to lower the price."
2: Well, that depends on the seller and how bad they need to sell it, actually. But uh, and these the sales disclosures are based on actual sales, not listing prices, too. So you'll see many right. times you'll see listing prices higher than actual sales.
0: Okay. Thank you. All right, DJ. Thanks a lot. A lot of good questions.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. The phone numbers again, 855 877 877-285-9348, and send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Okay. I'm going to ask a, a, one of my pet peeve questions right before we go to break. <laughs> and this really – this is, I guess, for, for Jerry. This doesn't have to do with mortgages. It just has to do with credit cards. I mean we're talking about how some of these subprime loans were sort of bad deals and got and people got in trouble because of them. you know. I think about credit cards and how if someone has a 10 or 11 percent interest rate, which is high enough, and then is a few days late on a payment, that rate goes up to like 25 or 30 percent. Or more. Or more. I, what's what's, you know, what's well, the deal with
2: that? Personally, I think that's criminal. But, I do too. <laughs> um, but, but you're talking to, to major companies, these national companies, and I think Congress is finally starting to look at that, and they've had some hearings on that. But you're right. Uh, it, you can make your credit card payment on time every month. But if you're late on other things and your general credit rating goes down, they can, they, they can, per the contract that you've signed with them when you sign up for the card, raise the interest rate on your credit card to exorbitant rates. And that's just not right. Yeah. I mean it always makes
0: me think that you know, if, you, if you couldn't make a payment on time because of some problem, then they're going to make it harder for you. Absolutely. Pay back the money. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's and, just, it does seem criminal.
1: Well, and caveat emptor only goes so far when there are so many rules like that that. I mean nobody who has a life to live is going to be able to keep track of all that. I mean that's just crazy.
2: Well, and credit card companies also have the right to change the terms and all they have to do is send you a change in terms notice and it tells you what they're going to do to you basically. Mm-hmm. And you can if you can if you don't want to do it then they'll suspend your right to to, to charge anything else. You can pay off your old balance but you can't charge anymore and mm-hmm. um so you know they can they can do about whatever they want.
1: And you get dinged on your credit report if you change that's, credit card yes. companies. Yes. They don't like that. It, it is a credit or credit Credatory. credit <laughs> credit givers market, I guess. I should
0: say. <laughs> right. That, that, you know. All right. We're going to. Uh, thanks for that. I'm glad you guys all agree. That's I'm going to get on my pet Let's Move
1: over on that soapbox. I want to join you. Right. <laughs> all
0: right. We uh, we're going to take a break now. Uh, Al, if you will, just hold on there. We've got a caller on the phone. So hopefully he'll be patient. Uh, we're talking about foreclosures and mortgage crisis and uh, lots of, of uh, financial issues. So uh, join us at eight five five zero eight one one or eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. We'll be right back.
7: www.southdunnstreet.info If you're a person on the go, you can take WFIU programs with you. We're podcasting. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer. Listen anytime from your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz and movie, play, and opera reviews. You can find out how with a visit to our website at wfiu.org. Welcome
0: back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And our topic today is mortgage foreclosures and uh, its impact on Monroe County and Indiana. We have uh, three guests, Marilyn Patterson from Bloomington's HAND Department, Housing and Neighborhood Development, Marcy Winsler from Indiana Legal Services, and Jerry Hayes, president of the Indiana Mortgage Bankers Association. If you want to join us, 855-0811, 877-285-9348. And Noon at indiana. edu's email address, and we have a couple of callers who are waiting to talk to us. So Alice first. Thanks for being patient, Al.
5: Yes. Uh, I suppose this is a question for Marcy, since it's a legal question. Concerning uh, misrepresentations that are occasionally made, what is the law in terms of re- a person recording a, uh, a conversation? Um, over the phone, I believe you need uh, permission from the other person if you're recording a conversation, or at least the implied consent. What about in person? What if you're a party to a conversation um, where two or more people are actually speaking uh, physically present?
4: Interesting question. Well, I, I think if you're in person and you've got the consent of the person that's being recorded, then it may not be a problem. But I don't know exactly the law when you're in person. There is a law that covers phone conversations. Um so, you know, generally you would want to get consent, I would think. Mm-hmm. But I, I really can't advise you as to the specifics of the legality of any particular uh, action.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Al, you're, so you, you're you talking about, you know, if you go into a conversation like this, having a little tape recorder in your pocket so you've got evidence?
5: Well, so you can you can prove what yeah. was said to you. Mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Somebody says, you know, you'll never be responsible for repaying this if anything happens and you can't repay it. And then you sign up and then down the line, you are responsible.
4: Well, I would say any representation that you would want to rely on, you need to make sure is in writing. And because under contract law, you're going to be bound by the contract whether you read it or not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. So, yeah, so if they tell you that, make sure that you get it in writing. Yeah. OK, Al. Thanks a lot for the call. And we have another call and it's Joe. Go ahead, Joe. Hello. Hello, Joe. Go ahead.
8: Um, We have a situation in our family where a single mother is working seven days a week to keep up her mortgage payments. The company that the the bank sold the mortgage to has gone broke, and it's been sold to somebody else. The payments have been raised twice, Hmm. and uh, she's not defaulting, but she is may default by dropping dead. (laughs) You know, I wonder if there's any help for somebody like her.
3: Absolutely. Have her call the hand office and have her come in and we will help her to rework – to do whatever we can to rework the mortgage. Um, You can do mortgage modifications um, and there are products – I don't know what kind of a loan she has, but there are products that that are specifically for – uh, people that have had adjustable rate mortgage, FHA's got an FHA secure product, for example. Um, but there there are lenders out there that are, uh, if you know, if if she is working hard to keep her home, will help her, and maybe her own lender will. And she can call hand and make an appointment three four nine three four zero one.
1: Right. Thank jo- you very much. Good luck. I hope things work out for her.
0: Now, Hand,
1: Thank
3: you.
0: Now, Hand uh, works with people who are in Bloomington, Monroe County. Um, um,
3: your- well, Hand is a city office. Sure. It's part of But we have a housing counseling grant through the Supernova through HUD. And for that um, and under that, we um, service Brown, Owen, Green, Monroe, Northern Lawrence and Southern Morgan. Okay, and that's the, and we get uh, so everything we do is free because HUD has given us a grant okay. to do this. Okay. So if
1: you don't live in Bloomington city limits, go ahead and come on in anyway.
3: Absolutely, absolutely, mm-hmm. not a problem. Okay, Marcy? I did,
1: I did want to
4: address Joe's question a little bit more. I want to make sure everybody knows that there are some important legal protections that people may have, and while it's commendable that you're remaining current on the mortgage, you probably ought to seriously think about getting a legal review of the documents anyway. One particularly powerful tool that's available to consumers is if they've had a refinance or a first mortgage that was – as long as it's not the purchase money mortgage for the home, mm-hmm. if that if, if that uh, mortgage was done within three years – You may have significant legal rights to cancel the transaction, get rid of the security interest, reduce the payments dramatically. So it's very important to know the date of your mortgage, the date you signed the the document, and pay attention if it's three years and it wasn't the purchase money mortgage, you need to get some legal review because the Federal Truth in Lending Act says they have to make certain disclosures. If they make a mistake in that, then you have this powerful right. There are some other laws that protect people. Uh, one in the area, it's a huge problem now, is in the servicing area. Um, and a lot of people, even if you're not behind, you may be having servicing problems where they're charging mm-hmm. excessive fees. Mm-hmm. They're hold, they're delaying posting payments to, from the time you send it. Uh, they may be holding payments in suspense and not applying them. Lots and lots of servicing problems. There is a federal law, the RESPA law, that allows you to, Write them a question. They have to investigate. They have to respond. If they don't, you can have a claim against them. Finally, there are some important um, protections for people in the military service. That
1: is really slimy what you just described. Ugh. Marilyn, do you <laughs> oh. do you refer people to Marcy's office at Indiana Legal Services when you come across this kind of an
3: issue? Yes, I do. Marcy's <laughs> one of my best friends, along with her compatriot Steve Sharp, helped me in every way because as I say a hundred times a day, I'm not an attorney. But I know some good ones. <laughs> yeah, there
1: you go.
0: All right. Our phone number is eight five five zero eight one one or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu.
1: And here's the one who did just that. begins, uh, Hi, why does it seem like the people who caused this crisis and have profited from it are not being identified, fined, and jailed? Beyond the Reagan-era deregulation, which made all this possible, surely there are modern criminals who created the current situation.
0: Anybody want to take that
1: one?
4: Yeah. Well, I, I, there are some efforts to go after fraud, but it is um, woefully inadequate. I think the resources are quite inadequate. The the you know the FBI, the Attorney General's Office has a homeowner protection unit. The U.S. Attorney. Uh, there are efforts to investigate fraud. There is a statewide task force on mortgage fraud uh, and prevention, but. The scale of misrepresentations that have been done and there are clearly proof problems in a lot of these. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody said something and then the terms were different at at closing. How do you prove those things? And a lot of them are complex financially – so they have to get forensic accountants in to investigate and try to figure out what's going on. So any one of those, it takes a long, long time to investigate.
1: Marcy, if somebody is, is in the process of getting a mortgage and, and think they might be kind of a subprime candidate and, and have some concerns, can they bring their document to your office ahead of time before they sign on the dotted line and say, hey, would you look this over? I don't want to get into trouble here.
4: Uh, I, I would encourage people to ask for their documents ahead of time and review them. I know it's not a common practice. Mm-hmm. People go to closings and there's an inch of mm-hmm. uh, stack of papers and you just sign and sign and sign. Uh, you can ask for those documents in advance. You can ask for the specific disclosures of all the charges at, at least mm-hmm. a day ahead of the closing. So you can sit down with it and look and see, oh, what about this is not what they told me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the right to walk away. Well, let me
0: ask about that because, you know, I've, I've been through a few closings and, you know, I, there's one particular guy that I always use and I trust him and he's an attorney in town. And, you know, he goes through those papers one by one says This is what this says. This is what this says. So, you know, is it, a, is it an issue of him maybe not reading the terms of it or me not realizing that you know, he's given me a term that maybe I didn't you know, Yeah, it sound, that sounds good. I'll just sign it and move ahead.
4: So you're saying you have an attorney when you have a closing?
0: Uh, the, the person I use for a closing is an attorney. Yeah, I, mean.
4: I think you're very much in the minority mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. process. But if we do get – we will read documents ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think HAND in their programs now require – and the CAP program requires if somebody they've assisted – is going to get is solicited for a refinance. They tell them you need to get a legal review before you do that, and uh, it's it's amazing when you go through and sit down with people and say this is how much this is going to cost. Now this appraisal we got here, wow, it's twenty thousand dollars higher than a year ago. You know how could that be? How uh, much work <laughs> have you yeah. done? Yeah. Right.
0: All right, we have a phone call, and it's Laura. Laura.
8: Hi. I just. Uh, May have missed it, but uh, I haven't heard any mention of the workshop you're putting on next week. And I was hoping that uh, before people tune out, you might
5: mention that.
3: Well, I am going to shamelessly promote it, and I'll go ahead right no- now, Miss Laura Trout, and do that. <laughs>
5: <Okay>. <laughs> um, All right. Okay. Hey.
3: Thanks. Bye bye. <laughs> um, I hand Housing and Neighborhood Development Department Indiana Legal Services momentive. And the Indiana Mortgage Bankers, are southern Indiana Mortgage Bank.
2: Indiana Mortgage Bankers, yeah. Yeah, You're okay.
3: Right. Are putting together a foreclosure workshop. This is the second one that we've had. We had one in November. And we're having one next week on May 15th in the city council chambers at 401 North Morton Street from 6 to 8. It's free. We will have uh, housing counselors there. We'll have attorneys there. And we'll have credit counselors there, and and the bankers will be there. And we'll have a half-an-hour presentation from uh, some of those groups. And then you'll be able to meet independently with an attorney or a housing counselor or a credit counselor, um, depending, or all three if you want. Or if you don't want to meet then, you'll be able to set up a time to meet with them uh, independently and um, help address any issue you might have um, about your mortgage or your housing. Um, All of it's free of charge, and we encourage people to please attend.
4: Wow. What a nice opportunity. I'd like to make people aware of another couple of resources. One of them, there is a statewide Indiana foreclosure prevention network that we participate with, and people can access that uh, toll-free 877-GET-HOPE or on the web – 877gethope.org. And you can do on the computer a 25-minute assessment that it can give you feedback as to maybe some reasonable options you might have. Uh, The other thing, of course, if if you're looking for an attorney, Monroe County Bar has a website, monroecountybar.com. And uh, I think there's a really – important one, consumerlaw.org is the National Consumer Law Center, and they have some consumer materials there, including things like about 16 rules about choosing which debts to pay first. That's mm. um, pretty good resource for folks.
0: Okay. We have a couple more phone calls. Let's go to Cindy. Cindy?
8: Hi. Um, going back a few callers, uh, I was glad to hear that you brought up about um, the predatory lending practice of them not opening or pushing the bill back, the other thing that that does, and I was caught in that a few years ago, is you are then declared late on your payments, which makes it virtually impossible to get another mortgage somewhere else, so they have you trapped.
1: So you're talking about when the, the person you're paying, you're making your payment to, um, doesn't post your payment in a timely fashion?
8: There, there is another practice that I found out that they do. They don't go to the post office and pick them up when they go to a P.O. box. They leave them set. And the way I found that out was I, I was sure my payments were not being delayed by the post office. So I started sending them where they had to sign for them. The ones that had to be signed for were being picked up every day. The ones that were not signed for were left lay in the post office for a maximum of five days. So they kept them back. This ruined your credit ability to go out and get another loan. Then the other practice that, that they turned around, and I had a fixed mortgage, but they decided I had to have more insurance on my loan. And they raised my insurance, which got my escrow, And that's how they continued to get more money from me was by – they raised my payment via the escrow.
4: There is a – specifically under this Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act, they are required to treat the escrow in certain ways. And one of the things they have to do, they can only collect, uh, you know, a certain amount. And they also have to – if you're escrowing for taxes and insurance, they have to promptly pay taxes and insurance – but one area where people can get into trouble, if your homeowner's insurance lapses, uh, then the mortgage company, the lender, will end up buying insurance for you, which is called forced-placed insurance, and it is really, really expensive. So you need to write a letter at, to them and ask for your history, your escrow history, or an explanation of a specific thing. And this law says that they have to acknowledge it within 20 days. They have to investigate and correct within 60.
2: I think I'd like to address the issue about the late payments. Um, generally, the way mortgages work, um, most all mortgage payments are due on the first of the month. And there's a 15-day grace period. So if you usually have through the 15th to make your payment without any late charge. And typically, I believe, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but most lenders I'm familiar with do not report to credit bureau until it's at least 30 days late. That's when they'll report it as a a late payment. So it will show one times 30 or two times 30 and one times 60 and that sort sort of thing. So the the fact that it laid in the uh, post office box, I'm not saying it's – I'm not trying to justify the practice by any means. But I just want to point out that the fact that it laid in the post office box for five days shouldn't have had a negative impact on your credit.
8: But it, then if they take them and they delay posting them after they get them, it does. Hmm.
2: Well, only, only, it will only affect the credit if it's 30 days past due. Would, you would be assessed a late charge if they don't post it till after the 15 days, which – Well,
8: they did yeah. because yeah. it wasn't 30 days past due. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay, Cindy, thanks a lot for the call. Thanks. All right, and let's go next to Rhonda. Rhonda?
8: Hi. Hey, go um, ahead. I have a question. Actually, I have two questions. First of all, I made a payment and at the local bank and I didn't notice the account number on the receipt. And it was 15 days past, you know, our grace period and I get a phone call from the bank stating that our payment was never received. And I'm like, well, I have a receipt. So I got to looking and they had put my payment into somebody else's account. Oh my. But I was still penalized. So I don't know, do you have any kind of, I mean...
2: Well, if it was a local bank and you pointed it out to them and you can provide documentation that was credited the wrong account, uh, I, I don't know of any local bank who wouldn't correct that error and okay. reverse the charge. If okay, just, and then you,
8: my second question was, um, who do I take my mortgage contract to to have it reviewed by a legal person? Well, you can take it to the
4: workshop next
3: week, which is okay. at the city on, on May 15th. At six PM in City Hall, four oh one North Morton Street, um, on Thursday, May fifteenth. Um, we're having a workshop and we will have attorneys there that will be able to do that. So bring okay. it bring it in.
8: All right, thank okay, you. Rhonda? All right. Good
3: luck, Rhonda. Marilyn, how many tell us a little
1: bit about your department at the city It sounds like what you do requires a lot of knowledge and, and probably uh, you know your institutional knowledge has a, a lot to do with your effectiveness as well. Mm-hmm. How many people work with you and and um,
3: share the kind of knowledge that, that you're able to bring to bear on these cases. Okay, if, if, we're, if we're talking about like default cases, there are actually four um, um, people in my office that are certified as default counselors. We are a HUD-certified comprehensive um, uh, counseling agency, and there are four people who can do that. Um, we have it kind of split up in various ways, and not everybody – everybody uh, takes cases all the time mm-hmm. i I take the most cases um of of defaults uh in the office, but we had you know when we get a lot of an extra amount of people calling in or an extraordinary amount of people calling in, then we have an, enough counselors to to spread spread it around um for one thing, you lose your mind if you have too many. Well, right, and I imagine you've got tissue on your desk. <laughs> it, oh yes, I, mean, I, I do. This is
1: very, very yes, painful I do. stuff. Yes,
3: people are in pain. People are in denial. Um, people don't. They don't want to look at it because it's just too, too frightening. And um, probably the worst thing that somebody can do. And the thing that I see the most is procrastinate. Mm -hmm. People, I'll ask them to bring in, please bring in your recent um, correspondence from your mortgage company, your servicer. And they'll bring in four or five unopened letters. And they've been receiving these for four or five Mm -hmm. months. Um, Procrastination is the worst thing you can do because it's much harder to make – Work it out when you 've let it go for so long, mm-hmm. and so I would just encourage people to if they know it 's going to happen or when it first happens, just call it's it 's not scary if you have knowledge, and we can give you the knowledge to know how to deal with it um, as as gracefully as possible
0: uh, yeah, I want to ask um all of you, but I think I think probably Marilyn and Marcy would have more um, experience with this about the sort of the comprehensive um issues of of poverty today. I mean this is – we're talking about mortgage issues but for a lot of these people who are having a mortgage issue and about to be foreclosed, they may not have health insurance or they may want to pay their health, health insurance so they don't have enough to pay for their mortgage or they can't pay their utility bill because utilities are, are going up. I mean Marcy, with the clients that you see, how – I mean how many of them have like other parts of their life under control if they're having these uh, mortgage foreclosure issues?
4: Well, it's by nature. Once you're in default, I mean there's a lot of problems going on generally and it's not just one. Um, I think one mistake people make besides procrastinating is they tend to respond to where the most pressure is Mm -hmm. and where the pressure is are the phone calls from the debt collectors and they call day after day after day. And you get to where you don't answer the phone. And then you'll finally, just to get them to stop, you'll say, "Okay, I'm going to pay this. And in all likelihood, that's a debt that if you didn't pay, you're not going to lose your home. But you're making that the priority over shelter Mm -hmm. because they're harassing you. There is a federal law that says if you put in writing to them, do not contact me again about this debt, then you can stop the phone calls. But people think it can do things verbally when the law requires it to be in writing.
1: Uh-huh. Rule one, pay your house payment first. Right. Keep a roof over your head.
0: Right. And and Marilyn, same thing with same question, I guess, about the the comprehensive nature of the of the problems and the issues.
3: Well, I th- I think Marcy is absolutely yeah. right. I mean and um aside from the procrastination, people pay the wrong thing. If you have unsecured debt Oh, well, it's going to cause you problems down the road if you're not paying it. We all know that, but they can't take your house and and rolling unsecured debt into a mortgage to to then get uh, so you don't have credit card payment. You don't. That's got so many people in a in a pickle because then they were they were uh, having a mortgage that was large, and now we have our our mortgages or our values. Decreasing, Even if they're slight compared to the rest of the country, we have people upside down. I can't tell you how many people I've gotten, OK, uh, one of the local banks or even through FHA Secure, they've been accepted and we go to the appraisal and, and their house doesn't appraise out. And – I don't have an answer for that. Wow. I just don't have an answer.
1: We I want to talk before the show is almost over, but I want to talk just to, for a minute about reverse mortgages and if
3: those are a good idea or, or how those I know that you deal with those too. I'm um I am and Jerry can speak to this too. i c I'm the um I'm a counselor for um um AARP and HUD um for reverse mortgages. And um According to our protocol, I don't have an opinion on them. So I'm not going to have an opinion today. I'm just there to educate people on um, – they're very complicated and it's, a, you know, it's our seniors. So you have to be over 62 right. to qualify. So um, it, they're very complicated. So I'm there to teach them what it is, how it's going to affect them and what their choices are, OK? So um, like everything else, for some people, it's totally awesome. For some people, not so much. And one of the things is we don't have a crystal ball to say how long you're actually going to be able to be in your house. And it really does take that you're going to be in your house a few years Mm -hmm. to make financial sense because of the upfront payments, just like with the forward-going mortgage. If you're going to buy a house for two years and then sell it, that doesn't make a lot of sense because of all the closing costs. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm sure Jerry wants to chime in here. <laughs> Go ahead, Jerry. <laughs> well,
2: I I, uh, I agree with you. I don't think it's it for everyone. But I think for those folks um, who are struggling, seniors who are struggling to make ends meet, they can't pay their drug uh, bills, they can't buy drugs, they can't buy food. Um, you know, these are folks that have um, invested their lives in their homes and some of them they are they're paid for and some of them aren't. And they don't have to be paid for to do a reverse mortgage. But, you know, I'm hearing so many children of seniors say, I want my parents to enjoy life. I want them to spend their last dime on their last day. I don't want the house. Mm-hmm. You know, most of our children, my children, are all better off than I am. They have better homes than I do. So I, and I think <laughs> a lot of times, a lot of ways, that's, that's the way it is nowadays. So, um, you know, the, the folks I've dealt with, it's been a uh, godsend for them. And uh, they, just, they just appreciate it so much, and uh, it's, it's, it's a good product. Okay, It's a widely misunderstood product. Maybe we can have a show on that sometime. I yeah, right. we should. That's yeah. a good idea. All right. Last 30 seconds. Marcy, just advice. The last bit of
0: advice you want to give to people about the, who might be facing a problem like this.
4: Well, I, I think they need to call and get help, uh, whether it's a counselor or legal advice. And uh, you can get legal help. Uh, go to indianajustice.org. And it says get legal help, and there's information statewide about how to get legal help.
0: All right. So we are out of time. I want to thank our guests today Marilyn Patterson, Marcy Winsler, and Jerry Hayes. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Catherine Hegerman, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening.
7: Noon edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.